Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. Before we begin, a few house announcements as always. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't to www.whitelabelamerican.com. Go there, leave your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can also leave voicemails. Um, or you leave a written note, you know, leave good notes. And um, constructive criticism is also welcome. Um, you can also donate. Either join our Patreon for as low as $3 or, you know, you buy us a cup of coffee. All donations are welcome. Or if you want to be a Jeff Bezos, 100 million, hey, hey, I'm bald, right? Hey, so black and bald. So we, we accept all donations, cash, preferably, um, dollars, euros, you know, the goods, you know, you know, every currency is welcome, but you know what I'm talking about. But um, with all that being said, you can go on the merch store also there or go to vetclothing.com and support the black-owned business and get uh, our T-shirts, mugs, and all the goodies that we have up there. So, before I jump to today's guest, recommendation, check out the Tech John podcast, um, episode 18, a bro created the search engine. Now, there's a podcast from three black individuals who uh, cover tech news and just give you a breakdown. And I love the way they do, they, they do this um, coverage of tech and um they simplified for people like myself who may skip over a whole lot of you know maybe get carried away by the the headlines and um the the big words put it that way yeah some people say you, you know people might be surprised to find out that i'm scared of big words but sometimes on the tech side of things i might um yeah i'm not interested in this but the 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 guys at the tech john and john is spelled J A. W N. They do such an amazing job of just, you know, giving you a fun, simple podcast breakdown. And it's also black owned. So hey, check it out. And I think this episode, a bro created the search engine, will also show you some historical um um, some black history that, you know, on this podcast we say black history is global history, and you see how it's all related. And you have everybody uses a search engine today, started by a black person. I did not know that. So check it out. It's a fun listening and you will enjoy it. So with that being said, let's meet today's guest. Now you guys will notice that I recommended a tech-related podcast because today's guest has a tech background. He's a retired IT professional. He's a man who hosts two podcasts, The 757 Renaissance Man and LVAD Talks. He's um, active in the church community. He's the founder of the CC Color of Color Crea uh, Collective, the content creators of Color Creative. He's um, a man who knows his music. He's a man who's worked in the music industry. Huge IT background. He's he. This guy is. His background goes far and wide, and at the same time, he's local to his community, but. When we dive in, you're going to see all this and you're going to know why I brought him here because 
this man has a wealth of knowledge that we all should be diving in and tapping into and benefiting from because this brother creates a lot for the world and the world is a better place for people like this. So welcome on the podcast, Sean Connors. How are you today? What's up, bro? How you doing, man? Hey. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. But I got to say, you know, I'll honor the God because if it weren't for him, it wouldn't be no me. First of all, thank you for the the, the, the sound bites in the background. You know, that, that's another reason why I brought you here. You know, that, that's actually, <laughs> I know. It's, it's I, know. Reason, you know? I, I didn't want people to know that, but um, yeah, okay, I'll admit it. But yeah, so um, yes, yes, we, we love having you here. And, um, you know, full disclosure, I'm not... You know, I, I don't officially believe in God, but I believe in people who believe in him and uh, or her, depending on which way they go, and use their belief to do good for the world. So, yes, that's why I still love learning from people like you, because I've had bad experiences, and that's why I don't bring those people here. Right, right. But most important thing is you. So, first of all, before we dive into your origin story, because, you know, you okay. know I'm, I'm a comics guy, so we got to go with origin story. Can you let the people know about your podcast and how you came up with those names? Okay. Well, the first uh, podcast is the 757 Renaissance Man. Um, <clears throat> it's basically the story of people that I've grown up with and the people in my community that helped shape who I am. Um, and we have a very diverse circle. Um, surprisingly, though, within not a lot of reach has um, without um, going too far without my circle has, we've reached thousands of people, you know, with what we do. Um, so the name was inspired. I'm a student of history, um, especially black history. And one of my favorite times in America is the Harlem Renaissance mm -hmm. and just the exchange of ideas and creativity and the importance of history within the black community that all happened in Harlem during that time is a great inspiration. And it reminds me of what's going on in the 757 Renaissance and the 757 um, now. The 757, for people who are not familiar, is the Tidewater area of Hampton Roads. Um, it's affectionately called the Seven Cities, and it's also the home of. Uh, the world's biggest naval base. That's right. Um, NOB. Yep. I and there. <laughs> that's and that's what brings a lot of people here. Um, and not to mention all of the schools we have in this area. Mm -hmm. We are lucky to have a, a great uh, variety of um, HBCUs. Um, and then we have schools like Old Dominion, Regent University, uh, William & Mary. So education is a real important um, part of the area. Then we got the entertainment community. You know, I was blessed to be in the same generation and be able to interact with people like Missy and Timberland and Magoo. Um, like me and Magoo went to high school together. Um, um, so, you know, all that is and these stories and the stories of, you know, some of our religious leaders in the community, um, some of our entertainers, because a lot of times our history gets buried. Mm. And what better way to tell your history by have the people who actually lived it tell it. That's right. So the second podcast is LVAD Talk. And LVAD stands for Left Ventricle Assist Device. And basically, um, I have heart pump. And 
um, the left side of my heart doesn't work. So if you know about your heart, the left side, the blood goes out, the right side, the blood goes in. So that part of the pumping action doesn't work. So I actually have a pump put in. I'm a cyborg. I'm, I'm the Black Iron Man. You know, <laughs> I have an arc reactor that powers me so I can go out throughout my day. So that podcast is to spread awareness to that. But not only that, because a lot of times that is um, a stepping stone or a way for you to live long enough so you can get a heart transplant. And so we also tell the stories of people who have gone through transplant, what it's like to go through and what it's like after. And we like to highlight the victories of um, the successes. And we also like to do our, our uh, part in spreading awareness in organ donation, uh, because especially in the um, black and brown communities, there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of people are afraid. But I mean, bottom line is, if for me to get a successful heart, it would help to come from another brown person. Mm. So those, those were the uh, reasons I started those two podcasts. And shout out to the Content Creators of Color, uh, C4 Challenge. That's a project, that's a passion project of mine to collaborate with content creators of color and um, do something meaningful and help, you know, spread the arts that we, we love so much. And I am proud to be a partaker in the challenge, the C4 challenge. Yes, sir. We're glad to have you. <laughs> so uh, thank you again for this two wonderful podcasts. Um, when you were talking about the Renaissance, the 757 Renaissance, man, um, you know, you brought up something that dawned on me. You know, I looking back to my education, and I'm always I always bring that a lot a lot on the on the on the podcast. Uh, there was hardly any mention of the Harlem Renaissance, and today, like you know, you and I we spend a lot of time on Clubhouse and. You know, there's always, there's, you always find rooms that are like blacks versus uh, African immigrants and, you mm -hmm. know, back and forth. And I'm like, how many of these people realize that just something as small as not mentioning Harlem Renaissance mm -hmm. in our education back home is huge and creates a whole artificial world that when you come here you can just easily you know you already have your mind made up like people over here literally did nothing until mm -hmm. the 60s or the 50s right right we didn't exist yeah it's just like oh yeah. everything was just a hand down from literally white people because mm -hmm. it's like oh the whole world nobody could invent anything nobody could come up with anything nobody could create anything only one set of people were just doing all that and then you start finding out, wait, you know, there's so much history that you never mm -hmm. got all your life. And when you now find out and you're now trying to tell people, hey, look, this fighting that we have doesn't make sense because you, all we're doing is we don't, you, you don't know the other person. You don't really know because your history has been hidden from you. If you had known, it wouldn't make sense to get involved in some argument over, oh, these people are coming here. We, we, they're not our people. You are not my people. And why are you not my people? Oh, you're lazy. All the black people are lazy. How oh, you say all oh, black people are lazy? And then, but do you really know the black people? What do you know about black people? And then it's like, mm -hmm. you, you bring up Harlem Renaissance, uh, Renaissance and they're like, 
Blackfoot did. Okay. Well, it's just just that's just one chapter. That's not the mm -hmm. whole chapter. It's just. And then if you one. think about if you think about the concentration of power. Yeah. or arts or my and when i say power and i only mean physical power but yeah. i mean brain power that's right that was in there you had the likes of langston hughes you mm -hmm. had malcolm x ella fitzgerald um all these people together at the same time that were great in their own elements but was just coming together and collaborating that yeah that's that's just fantastic when you say it like that because the word collaborating in there and you know what? I just recalled something too. Um, when I just joined the Navy and then I began to take college classes, you know, I took classes with uh, Tidewater Community College and mm -hmm. um, some. Shout out the, TCC. Yeah, TCC. <laughs> shout out TCC. I, I haven't given them a shout out in a long time. But yes, you guys started my part to um, getting a degree eventually. So shout out TCC, even though I didn't get a degree with you guys. And. Uh, the first class that I would fail, because I eventually failed courses, uh, was Black uh, African American history, mm -hmm. and it wasn't like it was a hard course to fail. But I was just I was this guy who was piling up everything. Work, give me all the work, give me all the work, and then give me all the school, give me everything. You know, so I, I couldn't keep up anymore. So I had to fail. I just had to drop out. And uh, but one thing that I took out from that course was uh, I still have the textbook. All my other courses, even most of my courses, I've, I don't, I sold the books or I threw them away. But the textbook from that course, I still have it because mm -hmm. without realizing it, I think that began my true, the, the crack that began, that opened up my knowledge into African-American history. I was like, wow, look, the history goes way back. You know, it's like that. The scales fell off my eye. If I were to use a re reference yeah. from the Bible, yeah. the scales fell out of my eye. And the, there was an assignment that was given. I can't recall the assignment was. And the professor said the, the, the Tidewater area was big in the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. So we have lots of references in the area. So, yeah, reach out to churches, libraries. And, and I was like, huh? So uh, I looked at the options that we had, and I uh, I think it was the Ebenezer Baptist Church. I can't. I think that was the name. I think Ebenezer. It was, if I'm I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I can't mm -hmm. re recall the ex the full names, but I think it was a, I think Ebenezer was in the title, and I think it was in Norfolk. Okay. But I had to drive up there, and Martin Luther King Jr. had given a speech there mm -hmm. once once or twice, mm -hmm. but there was. They, they, I, I called the church and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, come over. And they gave me, um, it, 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 um, it, it was kind of like a printout, but it was technically a textbook because it was a couple of, it was almost 100 pages or so. And I was like, wow, this is, this is big history here. I, I, to me, my mind was blown that <laughs> they just gave me this because coming from the Nigerian background, you don't get stuff like this free. It's like you have to pay money. So my mind, that's where my mind was at. And reading it, I read, I was enjoying what I was reading so much that I forgot to do the assignment. That's how interesting <laughs> it was. But I think reading that made me look at the area differently because I was like, oh, man, I'm in this area. The only important thing that's happened in this area was oh, uh, um, the military. That's it. <laughs> and I didn't realize how important this, that area was to America's history. 
yeah. how the rights this is the, that this I is had. the birth this is the birth of America happened right here. Yeah. Jamestown is Jamestown. right. It's right up, Jamestown is 10 minutes from my house, 10, 15 minutes from my house. Yeah. And we take it for granted. That's in our backyard. Williamsburg is 20 minutes that's from true. my house. You know, so yeah. all of that happened here. All that. Also, yep. r- not even five minutes from my house is where the first slaves or the first Africans, a.k.a. slaves, landed in America in 1619, right down the street from my house. So wow. this is the birthplace of America. That's right. It is. And, you know, holding that in my hand, and I, I, I don't, to me, then I was still shocked, but I, I don't think I even realized how big it was because today I don't even know where that uh, pamphlet I was giving ended up. But I think just reading that alone led to a big crack in my mm-hmm. wiring. And we officially, down the years, will change, will lead to the person who I am today, who's like, you know, a lot of the BS I was giving was just BS. Because it didn't make, it didn't, it did not add up. But just, seeing you because know, it's like the whole picture I'd been given of MLK Jr. was that he only just hung around one place <laughs> in the South yeah, until yeah, he got sometime. more than. And, then and, and so that's, that's one of the things that the we, we got to do with our younger generations, yeah. right? Because especially now we have the, the, the unique challenge of there being so much information out there. Mm-hmm. How do you decipher, you know, and a lot of times our personal history gets watered down and I'm really alarmed with the uh, movements in America now to try to change history and act like certain things just didn't exist. It's impossible to talk about American history and not talk about black history because we built America. It's impossible. It is. You know? It is. And as someone who has grown up with watered history, who until he became an adult, started realizing that, wow, I did not know my history. I still don't know the history of my tribal people because mm-hmm. a lot of it was just watered down and the, the sources that I'm getting it from now, I'm they're still not 100%. So um, I can't 100% say, hey, this is who we are. <laughs> That's how bad it is now. And you know, it was just last year I discovered that Nigeria had pyramids mm-hmm. that were destroyed by the British for some reason in 1935. I know mm-hmm. every Nigerian I've talked to who schooled with me, nobody knows we had pyramids. Mm-hmm. But we did have pyramids in the eastern, southeastern part of the country. So I've seen what it does when you have watered history given to a people I've seen how we grew up with that. And I've seen how the fighting today, there are people who are like, ah, no, 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 no. That's not important. What's important is you just remove the person at the top. And I'm like, yeah, but there's a, it, it, the rot goes way deeper than that. And right. if you don't fix that crack, that's, you know, you only like, oh, I just paint over it. Mm-hmm. And that's what many people are going after. And that's what worries me when I see all these laws being passed. Oh, no, you know, we need to water down the history and say, well, come on, present the other side's opinion. I'm like, history is not about opinion. History can't be about opinion. You can't say, oh, this side said, we want to sell slaves. And then you say, well, um, it's about, oh, we put two sides. So is there two sides to the Holocaust? Is there Mm -hmm. two sides to genocide? So... What, what, how, how does that work? Well, you're making me feel you're hurting my kids. So <laughs> we can't. So and, 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 
right, and to, to kind of um, kick the dog a little bit, yeah, that kind of bothers me because you're concerned about you hurting your kids. But what about my granddaddy that was hanging from the tree? What about him? Exactly, <laughs> exactly, and, th- and that's why I, I tell people it's we can't hide behind, we can't hide history. It doesn't do anyone any good. And when there are people who are like, well, you know, it, it's hurting my kids. It, 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 I didn't do anything wrong, so I, I wasn't the one who did it, so why, why should we dwell on the past? I'm like, you know what? If, if it will make you feel better, let's look at Europe. Mm-hmm. Eastern Europe, you have people who are like, uh, we are mad right now because some of this stuff is happening there in places like Poland. They're revising the history there. And now there's a f- movement like, uh, no, that's not good. Because at first they kept quiet when it started. And then it got to the stage where the guy is like, um, the guy in charge is like, you know what? In this, during the Holocaust, we weren't the bad guys. We did, none of us participated. It was only just Nazis. Uh, but some of you were Nazis too. Oh, no, 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 no. It was just only the people from Germany that were the right, Nazis. Right, right, so, right. yeah, yeah, we revised it. And it's like, <laughs> but you're doing the same thing that they're doing now. But uh, it was them. So I can do it if it's, if I say it was only those guys that did it, but I'm doing it now. And then now it's the, a new fight has kicked off and those who are quiet are like, oh, this is, oh, we should have, we should have. Because when we probably mm-hmm. say we should have, you know, it's never positive. It's never a positive follow up yeah. that comes up after it. So I, that's why I try to show people that this, this is not only happening to only black people, it's happening to other people. Mm-hmm. And the more you keep quiet or you say, I'm trying to stay neutral, it doesn't do you any good because it still comes back to bite you. So right. it's best. And the way I look at it, it's not about the history to punish you. No. It's about the history to un- uplift me. And there's, you know, it's uh, we kind of got to use that. It's not to make you see like, oh, poor, mean, white guy, your ancestors did this. It's more so to show my children, look what you came from. Look yeah. what you overcome and look what you're able or capable to do. It's not about that. And sometimes they take it like from the wrong reasons. And I got to counter that question with, what about my kids? Exactly. Because my daughter, she's three now, and certain things she may not be able to grasp. But I still, soon I'll have to start letting her know that, you're, you're, yeah, the, the one-drop rule of America counts to you. Mm-hmm. You're black. So mm-hmm. I can't let you be running around just thinking, you know, you're not black. You are black. So what about my kid? And when I bring that up, people like, oh, I'm I'm so sorry that your child has to go through that. I'm like, "Uh, then stop voting for the people who are going to make this whitewashing of history happen. You know, Mm -hmm. scrap that off. And we we all, uh, that's why I appreciate Germany. They still have work Mm -hmm. to do. And no place is perfect, by the way. But I appreciate what Germany does, uh, what it did, after the Holocaust, because I, you know, my, my partner is from Germany, and my first on my first visit to Germany, I went to uh, they took me to the, the local museum in, in their hometown, and I went with my in laws, and they don't hide anything there, and it, it's not just limited to the Holocaust, which was why I appreciated their their the style of history. So mm-hmm. this the town is called Münster, and their history goes way back to when. Um, what's his name? Um, the 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 Lutheran, the guy who founded the Lud, uh, Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Yes, I should have remembered mm-hmm. that. I just talked about MLK. <laughs> uh-huh. So when he started that movement, there were others who tried to create 
their own movement at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the Catholic Church was so powerful. Like, you know, everybody knows Martin Luther and sometimes people just simplify the story. Like, it just seemed like, oh, he came out and everybody just broke out from the Catholic Church. No, it was a mm-hmm. big clamp down. It was a reason, right. And it was brutal in many places. Mm-hmm. This museums, they don't hide it. They don't hide how brutal it was. Mm-hmm. So in the city of Munster, there's um, one the, the largest cathedral in the city center. It's no longer a, uh, a functioning Catholic church. So it's like it belongs to the city now. At the top, you see three cages. Those three cages have skeletons in them. Those were the mm. three people who tried to start their own movement to break out of the Catholic church then. Mm. And they, the Catholic church, they, they, didn't, they weren't successful. So the Catholic church got them and boiled them alive. And hung mm. them up. I was like, if you try this, this what we're going. We, we, we run this town. Mm. Literally, we right, run this right. town. You can't. He, that guy may have been successful in other parts of Germany, but not in this part. They didn't hide that part of their history. Mm. They showed you like, yes, this is what happens when you have too much power and nobody can check you. They were explaining all that in the museum. It's both in English, it's in German, and in other languages. Then when you get to the Holocaust, they showed you how the Holocaust it wasn't like. Some simple, oh, one bad guy came and then he just tried to kill some cat, tried to kill. No, no, no. They showed, they broke it down to how this guy came to power. And when you read that, you see all, everything. You see how Trump, it's literally like a photocopy. It's literally a photocopy. Mm-hmm. It makes sense why people were comparing Trump to Hitler. Because it's because you just see how the excuses people were giving. They, they put all that, they put it, you see all the newspaper clips. You see other people like, oh, well, you know, he's not, I don't think he will come after this group. I don't think he, he's going only after people who we consider mm-hmm. inferior. He's going after people who, you know, they're, they're damaged. And you could see people which from is same, different which is minority the same rhetoric. Yeah, same which rhetoric. Is the same rhetoric. I was from like, back in the day. Is this right. Fox News that was existing <laughs> there? I'm telling you, it was just, but this is a museum, and that's how history should be. You see everything. They're not adding a commentary, it's their words that they've literally mm-hmm. used to show you the whole. And then, pow, it happens. So, and that's why the podcasting platform is so important as a medium. Yeah. So we can come out and tell our own stories Mm -hmm. and sometimes um, counter um, what's going along in the modern day um, stories that's being told. Um, Because, you know, I grew up lucky enough with a mother who made sure that I knew my history and went out of her way to know that I knew more than just Martin Luther King, Booker T. Washington, you know, to know about the other inventors and other intelligent people that we have in our community. Um, And not just the ones that they glance over and give you on Black History Month, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one of the reasons, what's one of the motivations behind um, the 757 Renaissance Man podcast. So these people can have their own platform, their own stages, and we can tell the history as it happened and not through emotion. Yeah. And it's very important. And we need more of that. And I'm, I'm glad that you're out there and you, 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 you're leading the way. And that, that's one reason why I had to bring you here. So we've done a lot on, you know, we've gone far into the, the podcasting, but we're still going to come back to it. But now let's All jump right. back to your origin story. So introduce us to where you were born and what your childhood was like. Ironically, I was born here in Hampton, Virginia. Um, like anybody else. Well, okay, two things, two of the main reasons 
that people come to Hampton Roads brought my family here. Um, Hampton University, both of my parents attended, and my father was in the Navy. He was enlisted at first, went through the boost program, and came out an officer after graduating from Hampton University. So that's where I'm from. I was born here. But shortly afterwards, he had to go to uh, a school, and we lived for a small time in Waukegan, Illinois. Oh. But 757 has always been home, but I've done a lot of traveling because of my dad being an officer in the military. So your dad went to a school in Illinois. Well, mm-hmm. was he was he in the medical field? Yes, yes. He was a registered nurse. Wow, okay. Yeah. He was one of the very first black officers. And um, yeah, he was a registered nurse. He was a lieutenant commander when he retired. Oh, nice, nice. Because I, I remember after I graduated um, basic training and I was about to leave for my A school and there were some of my shipmates who were like, oh, but I was like, where are you going for A school? Like, oh, I'm just going across the street. Like, what? You know, I, I tell everybody who's traveling around the country. Like, oh, no, my A school is just across the street. So I'm, I'm staying here in Illinois. I'm, Wait, what? what? What field are you? They oh, were all medical. I was like, ah, oh, that sucks to be you. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that, that was my first introduction to free meal. It's you know, at the airport <laughs> in Atlanta. They were like, oh, make sure you travel in your uniform. So I was like, well, okay. Hey. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And so because of that, that uh, kind of is a part of what made me who I am. Yeah. Um, it's very, very, I don't want to be, I used to take it light as a kid because I didn't realize until I got older how significant my father was Mm. and seeing the photos of him coming out of officer school being the only dot and they had their white their white uh naval uniforms on the all white Mm -hmm. not the dress one but the all white in the uh, crisscross at the bottom the little oh the the service uniform right my dad being the darkest thing in that picture against all that white you know what I mean? Being able to travel as a, a child of an officer is different moving throughout. Like I got to experience things that I know black children to this day never going to see, like dining at the officer's club or oh, being yeah. able to stay in officer's quarters and taking the military hops, and <laughs> you know. But because of that, I'm very aware of my blackness and being the only black person in the room, I'm very, very aware of that, you know? So, what was that like? You know, before I go to the next question I was going to ask, what was that like being... So, because it sounds like a lot of times you were like the only black kid in... in <laughs> Most of the time, well, a lot of times. Yeah. Um, but, it, but so it was a duality in this because I grew up in a... a I grew up in a neighborhood called Camelot. Oh. And Camelot was creating. Yep, it's in Chesapeake. It's right across oh. from Cavendish Manor. Yeah, See, I, I, and, I, I know someone who, who I don't know if they're still there, but yeah, she she like a sister to me. Nine like, times out of ten, if you know somebody black yeah. <laughs> from the seven five seven, you know somebody <laughs> from Camelot or Cavendish Manor. It's one of the largest concentrations of uh, black communities in this area. Yeah, she herself and her husband bought a house there. I just remembered. Yeah. So I grew up in that area and I grew up with, I had a wealth of black men. I've had black families. We we're all middle class, um, from lower middle class to upper middle class. And some of us got, you know, a little further than that. 
But I also had the military side that we had to deal with mm-hmm. and the traveling and had to go. One time we were in uh, church when we used to go to church in Waukegan and I met um, President Ford and his wife. Wow. And, you know, just to be able to be in that, you know, that room with a president, you know, and funny thing was they came to our church. It was Shiloh Baptist Church in Waukegan and they came to visit. And my mom, my father's always been a minister and my mom has always sung in a choir. And um, the, you usually, and they have basements in that part of the country. And in the basement of the churches, you know, where the, the choir normally gets ready. Back in those days, they used to put their robes yeah. on and all that, that kind of stuff. But in the back was like a private area. And that's where like the Secret Service and the uh, president and his family were. And like they had it all blocked off. Like you couldn't normally go where you normally go. Yeah, I think I might have been, my mom's house might have been four, three or four. And being three or four and rambunctious as three or four year old <laughs> little kids are. I knew Sunday I'm at church. I know my mama downstairs after Sunday school, pow, I shot down the stairs, ran through the legs of the secret service and looking up at Betty Ford, like, who is this white lady? (laughs) (laughs) And that's how my parents got to meet the president. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, as kids, I, I probably did some running around like that, but uh, yeah, never led to any. any uh, how did I got through the Secret Service <laughs> the legs? Secret, I never that, know. That, 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 yeah, <laughs> that right there, that was a short movie in itself. <laughs> I must have hit a juke on them. Like, <laughs> I Secret Service was pissed off until retirement. Like, Man, that kid got me. But then they was cool and they talked to me and yeah. Hey, that, that was good, though. That was good. Well, although Secret Service tend to be much different from, you know, regular police or others, so it's a whole different mindset if you're on Secret Service. Yeah, but I got to the president. You so. got to the president. <laughs> <laughs> Tag, I win. And you're a black kid, too. Like, whoa. Right. Whoa, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. A white kid is a little bit different, but, you know, black kid, <laughs> hey, 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 you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, hmm, now that's going to make my next question interesting. So, what would you consider your favorite childhood memory? Oh, man. I, ooh. I know. That, 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 <laughs> wow. That, that, I've had so many adventures, and I don't know what would be my favorite childhood memory. I don't know. I, that's that's kind of hard because All right, let me, let me, let me I, I've had quite the interesting life. Two, two of your favorite childhood memories. All right. Um, I think one of my favorite accomplishments in life was becoming a member and marching in the Norfolk State University band. Oh. Um, I always wanted to be in an HBCU band when I was a little kid. Like That's like one of my um introductions to higher education mm-hmm. and i was able to accomplish that so um and in honor of that i have to let you know what that means that means well, i got to play music like this oh i know <laughs> um what was that nick cannon movie uh, drumline yeah i lived, drumline. It. I lived yeah. the real drumline yes. yeah that was i think that was my official introduction i probably had seen Stuff before that, but that's the one that stayed the most with me because I I think yeah I, I bought the I bought the the, the DVD the, the video CD yeah back then 
we couldn't afford DVD. It was video CD. You go to the guy on the streets. Uh, I was living in Portacot when I had some extra change. I'd be like, hey, man, what, what, you, what, what movie you got for me this week? Like, oh, yeah, this one. Like, what? what? <laughs> oh, this guy used to sing. You know? This is a good movie. Ah, it's a good movie. Go put it on. Like, man, they're, they're making music. What's this? What, 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 what the bad guy? They're going to shoot somebody or not? <laughs> <laughs> so I got to give a shout out to Norfolk State University, the mighty Spartan Legion. Behold the green and gold. Yay, of Oak State University. <laughs> you see, that, that, that's another thing that, you know, if I I'm go back to the whole history thing, mm-hmm. all that stuff, that's why I couldn't appreciate movies like that back then, you know, because mm-hmm. when I'm like, I see the whole drumming and I'm like, oh, what the hell are these, man? G- give me a movie like, the, like fighting, shooting, because I don't understand the relevance. Like, why, why are these people making a, what's, why, why do you have a big band? What's all this? What's all this music? What, Okay, it's black people play music, band, they play trumpet. Okay, they play, but I, I, it just didn't feel relevant to me. And yeah, when I was in um, elementary slash primary school back in Benin City, it was a military school, and we had we had some drums. Yeah, that was as far as that was as bougie as our music equipment went. And if you showed up early. To um, every morning we had assembly. Uh, we're in a Christian majority city, so it was. Uh, uh, we we said prayers. Uh, we sang. We sang national. Nigerians are very patriotic. Uh, you, uh, in the form of you must sing the national anthem, say the pledge, and then say prayers. Depending on what part of the country you're in, so you got to. Um, it became a thing where there were certain people who could play the drums. Now looking back, they were trash. They were just, that's just the best. they were trash. But uh, depending on how early you got, you know, and you got connected to that click, you, they, they could allow you to hold the drums. So one day they allowed me. I got to be able to hold the drums, and because it wasn't stand, uh, there weren't drums that could stand on the own. So someone had to hold the drums while they were playing. So that was like as close to that music vibe that I got. And we never had music teachers, so you never got to appreciate stuff like that. So it was like ah, this this type of stuff for white people. And then you now see a movie that has black people playing. I'm like, oh, what's wrong with these black people? <laughs> that was just the mindset that we had. Was but so crew, you got you you to get the connection, though, and the history and why it's mm-hmm. so important with the, with the historically black colleges and why the bands are so important. Yeah. Because that's a, 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 a direct derivative of um, Western African music. Coming over, yeah. That's how we carry, you know, this from slavery, and we were finally able to um, uh, assemble and have higher education. That is a direct product from our culture. And if you listen to the drums and the rhythms that come with these HBCU bands, mm-hmm. that's it's a direct translation from our African history. I agree, and all these things, like I said, it's until I became an adult that I started. <laughs> learning all this and getting it better. And I, actually, when I say an adult, it wasn't even just until I became an adult. It was until I came over here and started having interactions that were outside my bubble. And that's when I started having a better appreciation for um, art like that. And I was like, oh, man, all those days when we were like, so that's why we're talking like this. Like, man, what's wrong with these people? Well, we don't need this in our schools. Like, but you and you won't be surprised. Try to bring those to Nigerian schools, and we'll black. But you won't be surprised. There are a lot of African American kids in America that don't know HBCUs exist. Wow, 
Okay. That, that's... To right now to this day. So, you know, and that's why I'm always on the kick and I always want to say something and, mm-hmm. and um, let them know because it's a, it's a whole, if you ever have a chance to go to a HBCU and experience it, it's more than just a, a, a textbook education. Yeah. It's an education of who you are and a reflection of who you are and can be in society without the limitations that's put on you by society. You know, someone, uh, right after I got out of the Navy and I was, you know, I was really depressed and in a dark, dark place later on, uh, I met, uh, 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 I, I think she was a wonderful woman. I probably, due to my depression, I couldn't appreciate the woman then. And she had said to me, I was at Strayer University then, uh, down in, um, in Dallas area mm-hmm. of Texas, and she was she was like, um, you're, "You're planning to move to New York, right?" I said, "Yeah," and she was like, "Where are you going to for school?" I'm like, "I'm looking at uh, I've going gain admission to a private university." You know, I didn't even think that uh, I could gain admission to an Ivy League, and I could have, I could have my G- I, everything was good, but I was so depressed I wasn't even thinking far or anything. And she was like, "You know, you should consider an HBCU." And I, I think mm-hmm. without realizing it, the automatic programming that I had kicked, kicked in. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, hell no. I don't want to be around. I've been around black people all my life. So I got to be around black people again. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. It's not like I thought about it. That was the first thing that just came out of my mouth. Now, right, right. if you look back, um, the, uh, if I look back at the way HBCUs were just introduced to me, it was um, from my childhood. It was mainly, you know, um, which wasn't wrong, but it was just like, oh, you know, uh, uh, mostly white institutions didn't want black, mostly black kids uh, to be there and people of color, you know, other people of color to be in their institutions. So black institutions had to be, uh, universities had to be created. And that's how we got HBCUs. But we, like, and by we, I mean Nigeria, I'm talking about the Nigerian environment that I was familiar with. There was a lot of, uh, reference or uh, reverence given to someone who graduated from an Ivy League school, mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, look, this person, uh, uh, Oxford educated, this one, uh, um, Harvard educated," and slowly but surely, that became something that even to this day, uh, even among the the Nigerian independence. Uh, the people considered the father of Nigerian independence. You have Ivy League educated people there. It mm-hmm. you start that we don't realize how that something like that, little as as that starts to change the programming. Where mm-hmm. a child says, "Oh, I gain admission to HBCU." The parent like, "Huh? What is that?" My friend, can't you? Your mate is gaining admission to H uh, uh, Harvard, to to uh, Penn State, to to uh, Oxford. What, what? What? Why you want to go to that? My friend, go to real school. What do you mm-hmm. mean by real school? But we never, we only just got the, the we only got the, the, the tip of the iceberg when it came to HBCUs. So we never got that relevance. It was until I started interacting with people who graduated from HBCUs. And I was like, man, your, your, your energy is different. Why you all mm-hmm. talk like this? And I was like, mm-hmm. wow. You know what? If I had to go back and do it again, I, I, I would most definitely go to HBCU. I would have, that's one thing I have. I'm like, yeah, that woman was right. When she told me, I was like, yeah, but it was that, because uh, I thought by then I, I already, I was already done with the anti-blackness. 
But when something has been built into you, you don't even realize how much it's been built into you. So there's parts right, of you right. that with without even thinking about it, you just say certain things, you just do you know, you act certain ways. And then later on, you're like, why did I do that? Wait, wait, what? You have to, if you don't know, well, you check, can't catch Well, check it. this out. Yeah. So with me, it was the opposite. It was, it was, and I talked to you earlier about the duality I had mm -hmm. to live as an officer's kid, but I also, my mom was an educator. My mom taught for 30 something years, right? Both of them graduated from Hampton University. Hampton University is considered the black Ivy League school. If there's any HBCU, some people may argue, yeah. but any HBCU was to be able to be considered an Ivy League school, it would be Hampton University, right? From the history, the status, mm -hmm. um, the quality of the education. And it's a private institution too. It's not a state yeah. institution. So yeah. Hampton gets big props. So I grew up knowing that, and I basically, so my great aunt and my great uncle both were tenured professors on Ham at Hampton University. My uncle taught architecture. My aunt taught nursing. Ironically, my father went through the nursing program, but they actually lived in a house um, that was built in the 1800s by slaves on the campus. I grew up running around playing hide and go seek in this historic house. Wow. You know, so I my programming was different. Hmm. To the point where until I got to high school, I didn't really pay PWIs any mind. For people who don't know, PWI is predominantly white in institution. institution. Yeah. Surrounded by them, though. Like I mentioned before, we got William and Mary. We got Virginia Tech. We mm -hmm. got ODU. Wasn't on my radar because to me, higher education looked like an HBCU. I was familiar with Hampton University, Norfolk State University, Grambling, Southern, North Carolina, A&T. You know, those were the schools that was on my, my radar. I was, I was Johnson C. Smith. I was not checking for Howard. I was not checking for uh, um, Brown. I was not checking for Radford, which is right up the street from us. You know what I mean? That didn't exist to me. So to me, it was a natural thing being a creator and motivated by music to want to be in a band. And growing up on an HBCU campus, because um, we spent a lot of time there, he was my closest uncle, was like closest thing to going to see my grandparents. Spending so much time on that campus really changed how I saw myself and how I saw myself as a black person. Because we got to see world-class plays, like I'm familiar with August Wilson plays, going wow. back to my love of, of the Harlem Renaissance. Mm -hmm. I got to be able to see um, football games and the Black Greek life and uh, be on campus when Jesse Jackson was running for president and watch him speak. You know, I got all these great opportunities because of HBCUs. Wow. Yeah, man. I, I ain't gonna lie. I'm I'm envious of you when it comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> but it ain't too late, bro. It ain't wait. too late. <laughs> uh, yeah, my my GI bill is exhausted. I I blew it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm doing. When they make education free again, I'm I'm I'm, I'm gonna be there. That that's me. do yourself do yourself a favor <laughs> and find out the closest HBCU to you. Find out when it's homecoming weekend and just go hang out. And experience that. Just experience that. Oh, okay. Go experience the homecoming weekend. Oh, yeah. yeah go to uh, the game. Oh, go yeah, see the, how that is. Yeah, but they usually I, I, have I watch step Beyonce, shows, Beyonce's fashion homecoming. shows. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so much. Just in the HBCU homecoming is so much culture to experience. You won't regret it. Yeah, I, I always see posts about that online, and I'm like, damn, that's a, how, how was that? Even, even my PWI that I went to, I just went there to go read. I didn't even try to experience anything. I didn't, I didn't even try to, yeah, I made a few and friends. it's great you said that because it's more of the black experience. Mm -hmm. It's the experience. That's an important word in your sentence, what you just said. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely have to go experience the, the, the homecoming weekend. Yep, adding that to my to-do list. Yeah, that's something. Come down here, bro. You oh, yeah. pick from Norfolk State. We got Hampton University, Elizabeth City. Come on. Yeah, there's a yeah. I probably, probably I'll probably go with you. Bring my daughter. My, my kid got to come experience. If you come with me, you're gonna get VIP access to the band. So oh, she, okay. <laughs> now, yeah, that's all you should have said from the beginning. Yeah, well, I gotta consider other places. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we're gonna jump into your career and other great things about you hi everyone we've made it two years and who would have thought so so let's go for that and make it three make it four make it five make it six who knows 20 but we can't do this without your support so join us on patreon at patreon.com slash white label american pod pod or linktree.com slash white label american Go there and you'll see our Patreon link and you can join us for as low as $3. We have bonus content, we have bonus materials. There's so much juice over there that we don't release to the public. And yeah, you can contribute in making this podcast better. You can send questions, you can send your ideas. And also there's a lot of new things that are coming. The announcements are made on Patreon first because we have to, you know, take care of people who help make this podcast possible so you can be the one to make this podcast what you want it to be come join us on patreon and make it what you like to see join us make it fantastic keep the five stars coming in keep the love coming in thank you for the privilege of your company so welcome back and thank you all for staying with us we appreciate you all so sean uh it sounded like you were heading into music or uh, it, it looked like the part uh, career wise of music had been decided by you like this was where something music related you were going to be in the music sphere if that's the right way to say it to be to be quite honest with you though it wasn't purposely done like i knew i loved the band right and i mm -hmm. wanted to do whatever it took to be in a band but uh, to me to say that that's what I want to do is to be a musician. I don't think that ever was the plan. I never really thought past being in a band, but the way my lifestyle and me growing up, I knew that I wanted to be in a band. So I always had to be, do something with music, you know, because I knew that was my goal. I was blessed enough to have parents that knew early enough the different uh, path things in my path that need to be placed so I can make that goal. Okay. If I wanted to learn how to be in a band, I had to learn music. I should have been in a band when I was in elementary school. They gave me piano lessons. You know what I mean? So it was very purposely um, a path towards just that point in my life. And past that, I really didn't kind of know what I want to do. But I'm a multimedia creator. 
So I've always loved all of the arts, not just, I don't have a favorite art. I love physical art, such as painting. I love portraits. I love photography. I love reading. I love music. I love the arts, anything encompassing of the arts I love. So no matter what, that was going to be some kind of way. I was going to always have that. Even if I worked in a factory, I probably would have been the singing, humming, um, guy with the records that had the mixtapes in the break room you know what i mean something it would it would have been something music related and i just was blessed enough where the arts and the technology kind of crossed paths and that's how that's where i went all right uh yeah i think music is i mean once once you get into music i think an appreciation for the arts always follows along with music you know it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's rare to see people who say oh I, I love music even if they're not um performers it, it's hard to say oh I'm, I'm not into other form of art too because mm -hmm. you know the people use music to make other arts at the same time so yeah um but you mentioned technology and that's going to take me to the next question so how did your how did you officially get into technology or what officially took you <laughs> along the path of technology? All right. So there's another thing that was um, not done on purpose. Right. Um, I told you I grew up in a neighborhood. I grew up in Hampton Roads and I grew up in a neighborhood called Camelot. And um, that's in the, Ch the city of Chesapeake. And Chesapeake at the time had a very, and the state of Virginia, <clears throat> excuse me, had a very aggressive education um, department. And they were doing a lot of experimental things. So they had a program called GATE, Gifted and Talented Education. And um, through testing or whatever, a group of us kids were identified as gifted students. So they actually had, they opened up a school. This is the precursor to the governor's magnet schools, right? This was like the experiment oh, okay. that led to things like oh, that. I think right? I read an article once talking yeah. about that. Yeah. So, and Virginia is also known to be, you know, known for education. So I was um, fingered as one of these kids and a minority. We had a special school that was about five, 10 minutes away from my zoned elementary school. And it would take us out of school during like half the day and take us there. And at this school, we had, it was like the beginning, it was STEM before there was STEM. So we had biology classes, we had um, mathematic classes, but it was also done in the name of science. And it was fun. Like we were making stuff explode and experiments and, you know, like Mr. Wizard World type of stuff, right? But one of the classes was introduction to the personal computer. And this is like in the late 80s. So computers like weren't even color back then. We had the big old floppy disk and that gave me my introduction. And one of the things they taught us was they taught us basic coding. And that's what started the book. So uh, I think my very first real, my first computer I used there was a Tandy 2000. And if you do your, your uh, research, um, that was, um, that was a powerhouse. Like I was ahead of the game and I'm a little kid on this, this computer, right? Wow. So I had the type of father when I came home talking about this kind of stuff, he was like, no, this little kid is not going to know something that I don't know and outdo me. And he had the foresight to see how important technology was about to be. Right. Oh. 
did what he can do and bought me a piece of a computer back then. Now, wow. my, again, this is like 89. So an old raggedy computer is two, three thousand dollars. And that's a lot of money back then. It is. You know, was, you know, I was money. very blessed to just have that that privilege to be able to experience that. And that just started to bug. And then the Internet came and I in between always doing well, even before the Internet, I was doing like digital graphic design before it was a thing. I don't know if you remember dot matrix printers. Mm. and they used to print out real noisy and they had the little pieces of paper on the side and it came in like the sheets came folded you uh-huh. had to feed it through your printer and it was like, i think that was all I, I i was used to in nigeria for the most part of my life yeah so when and then, so we had the color when the color ones first came out and it was like three colors and the ribbons were moved oh you guys are and- bougie that would have been that would have been that would have been like wow that's from the future if you showed me that in Nigeria I'd be like man look at that so I had I had this in high school and what I always had a little bit of hustle in me too so what I would do would be design these banners it was an old crappy program called Printmaster right (laughs) and I would put like it would be somebody's birthday and I'd be like happy birthday to Mika like her boyfriend would get it and I would charge them by the page and I would charge them like a dollar a page so I print whatever you want printed but the longer (laughs) you print it the more it costs yeah so and that kind of got me into graphic design and that kind of led the bug there and then AOL came out and while AOL came out I got curious I was like this is cool and I started dibbling and dabbling in HTML and web development, and the rest is history. All that was in high school. That's just as high, yeah. Um, elementary school, high school, and during college, because during college, my major was early childhood education. Like, wow. I, it kind of afterwards, it was an afterthought, like, that's what I should be doing, you know, because I really didn't know. Like I said, well, my main goal to going to college was to be in a band. Yeah. I really didn't give a damn about no degree. I wanted to be in a band. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, I picked a major that my mom was a teacher. I figured if I was going to do anything, I want to be a teacher. And that's what it was. I probably would have been a, a band teacher, maybe, if I would have kept in the, on that path. But that's not the plan God had for me. Wow. That was... Uh... It's quite the segue from, you know, um, being in the band. And I was like, well, you know, this technology thing going on here became your passion. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, you never lost your interest in music. Mm-hmm. So both of them were your passion. Music also. is always going to be a real important part of my life. Um, my mother was a professional traveling gospel musician oh. um, before I was even born and traveled all over the country in many, many churches and been on recording. She was in the gospel choir at Hampton University, traveled all over Europe. So music has been very important and very instrumental in my life from day one. Um, just just the music that gets played around my house and the variety of music, not from gospel to opera, to jazz, to funk. Um, My mom's from Oklahoma and um, Charlie Wilson's a cousin. So, you know, that, that influence has always been there. So I've always had a, a multitude of music and it's always been a real important part of my life. I can't, I can't live without music. Neither can I. I think if you drop me on, you know, when they ask that question of, 
oh, if they were to drop you on a uh, deserted island, well, what's one thing you can't leave without? I'm like, uh, how about some music, man? Yeah, I play music. Yeah, like and music. then it gets harder than that. Like, what music? <laughs> what music? I, I like, don't know what to choose. Yeah, yeah, just give me all the music, man. You just right. give me some. Give me an app that has music. Then we we fine. <laughs> I can pick <laughs> what music I want. I don't need to pick because if it's only one artist or one genre, I might get tired eventually. Like, all right, mm -hmm. get me out of here. <laughs> no, but maybe I'll just keep it to reggae or you know something slow and nice. But yeah, so you got um, you, you you didn't go to college for for tech, right? For none of the tech mm. stuff. No, you, I so didn't. was it was it mostly self taught after um, after um, high school? Yeah. So by the time I got to college, I already knew how to program. But I didn't realize that I knew how to program. It was just the things I was oh. doing as a hobby, yeah. you know. And I, um, I, I went to Norfolk State. I did what I wanted. I came to do. And after being in a band for a couple of years, I kind of laid out and eventually stopped going to Norfolk State. And then my dad was like, "Oh no, we're not having that. You about to get up and do something, or you about to get up out my house." And he meant that. Yeah. <laughs> so I found a way to go to school for free and end up going to school in Pennsylvania. And while in school in Pennsylvania, um, just by playing on the internet and doing certain things that I do, uh, but definitely back in the days of dial-up, I caught the attention of a local businessman who needed a web, a web designer, a web developer. Wow. I just happened to know how to web design and I knew a little bit of graphic design. And he hired me. And from there, I started, uh, I didn't even know Photoshop then. Um, I was using, what was it? Corel Arts. Corel had a um, graphic design program. And I was using that. And a part of it, the business was uh, a web design firm for Pennsylvania businesses and um, businesses in the region okay. and the other side of the house was a ISP because that's back when ISPs were small and local before the great AOLs and the mergers and the, the consolidations your ISP was a local company that you dialed in to get the internet so because of that oh, I yeah. got to learn not only the the graphic part of it and um, you know, the web design part of it, mm -hmm. I also got to see how the internet actually worked. Because at that time, your ISP was directly connected to the backbone of the internet. So I got to see how these protocols and the servers talk to each other. And because we were in-house unit, not only was I designing the web, the web pages we had, I also had direct communications to the people who held the infrastructure. So then I gained that understanding. Wow. Man, you that is that's a movie. There's a movie in there, man. There's a movie in there. Or at least some uh some show that should be on stars on Netflix, you know. <laughs> you just have me as one of the executive producers on well um Come on, uh, hey, you, you gotta know. put your paycheck, you gotta put your pocketbook behind it, bro. Let's yeah, do know, it. <laughs> one of the inspirations, you know. Yeah, I, I get my point five, you know, just five percent. Well, yeah, I'll be I'll be there when you get the Emmys and just put me on stage. <laughs> I gotta say one of the thank yous. Like, you know. You know, just it'll be a brief thank you, but you know, I'll be on stage. I, I, I wear a nice Wakanda outfit like I'm wearing right now. You know? <laughs> yeah, man, Wakanda forever. <laughs> yeah, so wow, that, that's a great inspiration. So, um, to those listening, 
who uh, did not go to college? Because wait, before I, before I ask the question, because it, it just reminded me of interaction, an interaction that I had at a networking event pre-pandemic. I attended um, an event at Google um, where they were hosting veterans for one of their resume workshops and a bunch of the veterans that Google had walking there, uh, you know, came to interact with us. And one of the guys who spoke did not have a college degree. Mm-hmm. And he was also working in the IT. Uh, yeah, he, he also he was working in the IT field at um, Google New York, um, head, uh, HQ. And he leveraged what he, I don't, he, he didn't even do IT in Navy, which is another great way to get all the certifications and all that. But it was after he got out of the Navy, he found a passion in um, learning the IT stuff. And he never went to college for that. He just found different ways of learning. And, but he was self-taught and mm-hmm. was able to leverage that. And he's now been with Google for over 10 years. And that was yeah. like the first time I was like, wow, someone can have a career mm-hmm. in certain fields without going to college. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying I'm against going to college, but I think it, it's good to hear from people who went through that part and how they did it. And I'm, I'm a believer in giving people options because you know I have people who listen in places like Nigeria, places like Ghana, in South Africa and other places. And not everybody is as privileged as I am to, you know, go to college. And, uh, but there are also resources that they can leverage to go find their, their path. And I, I like, you know, when people like yourself share your stories and, you know, you shared how you, you got into this career. And I'm, I'm like, I, I hope it inspires people like that to know that there's another way than just because one, the, the, the most popular way or the most popular route is not open to them. It doesn't mean that, it, you know, the, it, uh, every route is shut down, you know, you know so there's opportunity. So what would you say to young, not only younger people, everybody who's trying to get into the IT world or the tech world, um, and hasn't officially, let's say, doesn't have a background, but is being self-taught like yourself. What would you say to them to, you know, like they want, they want to begin in, in that field or they're looking to get into that field? What, what advice will you give to them? Just start and look into, so any job in a technology job is a good starting point, right? So, um, let's just say you know that you want to go uh, in a certain direction in the IT field. Just go ahead and take a small tech support job. You know, that gets you in the door. Because I found that in my experience, my experience outweighed my schooling. My real world experience outweighed. I was blessed. I'm not saying everybody's going to have the same path I did, but I was blessed and lucky enough to be put into certain positions and learn certain things that I had the experience before it was um, the the knowledge was out there. And that experience uh, I found in my career outweighed a lot of times people's degrees because they didn't have that hands-on experience. Mm. 
and uh, and all of your experiences in the IT community all can come together. Like because I worked in um, like the beginning career in um, tech support, you know that gives you the basics to understand certain technologies, and most importantly, the people who don't understand technology and how they think, because that helps you make the technology easier and more accessible. So you got to take all those experiences and kind of put them together. Don't forget, especially in IT, certifications sometimes are better than degrees. And a lot of these certifications you can you can get by self-study. You don't have to necessarily take the college class to get it. Or you can take some of these um, classes that are like for a couple of weeks that concentrate just in, let's say your concentration is in networking. So you could take you a network course. Look up YouTube. You have way oh, more yeah. resources than what I had when I was starting out and it was picking on the internet, trying to figure out how to code in HTML. You know, you, you have the technology to teach you the technology. Don't discount these, these certs because if you get the proper certifications, you can write your own path that way. I'm not discounting a degree and I'm not discounting the college experience, but I think college and the military, I look at both of them the same way. I think if you're a young kid, you should try either one of them, if not both, because that will give you an opportunity to kind of figure out who you are. Mm, that's, that's great advice there. Great advice there. Yeah. And I, I know college ain't for everybody. Nope. The military ain't for everybody, but I think you should at least find out. That, that's true. At least find out. Like, hey, I, I already did my four years of active duty, and I, part of me still feels I should have done six or eight at least. But at least I found out, and mm. it started me on the path to finding out who I wanted to be. So, <laughs> and I tell people that yeah, you just because you go in doesn't mean you're obligated to do twenty years. Right. But when you go in, you're gonna find out if you want to do twenty years. <laughs> exactly. You know, just your four years and bounce. And time moves fast. It does move fast because people go, oh, four years is a lot of time. I'm like, nah, trust me. When <laughs> Before you know it, it's like, well, four years up. And yeah, so. <laughs> so um, let me see. You, uh, I got to jump to something that you, you, you mentioned in, at the beginning. Um uh, the, uh, I'm going back to uh, LVAD, L-V-A-D. Mm -hmm. I got it right. I don't know why. Right. I, I, I you got it. That. Okay, LVAD. So, um, with your 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 heart, you know, um, you know, condition, um, and creating awareness, you know, because we only focused on the first part of um, the the seven five seven. Then, uh, mm -hmm. when did you begin to Notice that there was something wrong, or like when did it when did it occur to you that there was something going on with your heart? I was born with a heart murmur, and I had my first open heart surgery when I was three years old. Wow! In Chicago Children, we was in Waukegan, in Chicago yeah. Children's Hospital, and I'm 47 years old, and that it was a many, 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 many moons ago, and that's before they really were doing open heart surgery on little kids. Wow. And that was the beginning of my journey with heart disease. Wow, you you are a miracle, man. You are you are one blessed individual, cause man, yeah, is... bro, I agree all day long. There you go, play, 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 <laughs> play. 
Just because I don't go to church, don't mean I I, I don't mess with that. Play. Right, my, right. My my favorite podcast plays that all the time too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still black, man. <laughs> you, can't, you can't separate me from that. <laughs> wow. So, uh, with your uh, with your condition, does that limit certain things like you can eat or you know like does that create any limitations to the way you you enjoy life? Um. All right. So that's a two part question. Before, or after, like before, it, yeah, it should have, and I should have been more aware of um, some of the choices I made okay. in health and in life. Um, but now, after going through this process, yes. So the main thing is, you know, and it, it's another part of history and our history, especially as African Americans. Our diet has never really been. Um, um we haven't we've been raised to have certain choices because of the way we were brought up um that are not necessarily healthy that's true that's true and a lot of time i i do people people don't like the way i say it, but i'm gonna say it anyway slavery had a a huge effect on our diet and a lot of the problems that we have uh, with our health now is directly uh, contributed to the diet we were fed as slaves. And then throughout generations and generations and generations, you get heart disease, high blood pressure, um, more um, cases of sickle cell because of the bad diet that we were forced to eat. You know, a lot of the foods we were forced to eat, you shouldn't eat. True. But that's what it was the leftovers. And then it became part of the culture and things that accepted. And throughout the generations, we just kept this bad diet. And that's one of the, the, the main struggles I'm having right now, you know, um, because food is also an emotional thing. It's something we do when we celebrate. Yeah. And, you know, trying to rewire the way that you was programmed. Um, that's one of the biggest challenges I have. But specifically with the LVAD, I have a pump and then the pump comes a little cord and I have batteries. Right now I got a little vest. You can't see my little batteries. But a lot of times when you see me, I have a little bag. And oh, in wow. that bag is the batteries that power my pump. But because of that, electricity and water don't mix. Oh. So I can't swim. <laughs> I can't get, I'm a gremlin. I can't get wet. Yeah. So that's like my only limitation um, I have, because of certain medicines, I have a few limitations, like I got to watch my vitamin K or whatever. Uh -huh. But for the most part, it's not too much that I can't do. So, but you are still up for uh, um, a heart transplant. Yeah. And so transplant on its own is a huge, um, it's a lot that you have to do to qualify, especially for a heart transplant. So there's times where you're listed or unlisted. And um, because my weight and the way I'm built, yeah. um, sometimes I'm listed, sometimes I'm delisted. It all depends on what's going on with my weight. Wow. Wow. And it's, it's a lot that goes in with that. Like there's a whole hierarchy. Like just because you're number seven on the list doesn't yeah. mean you want to stay number seven on the list. Somebody can come on the list as much sicker than you and bump you. Oh. Or you can get better, and because you're better and there's people sicker than you, they can get priority. Or you can get worse, and you can bump up, get bumped up for somebody else. So it's, 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 it's dynamic, and there's a lot of variables with that. Wow. But 
thank God, there's a thing called an LVAD. I've had my LVAD for six years. If I didn't have my LVAD, I would have been gone six years ago. Wow. That's a lot that I didn't know. And um, yeah, that's another reason why I'm glad that you're here because that just opened my eyes to a whole lot of um, information. Uh, I've gotten more awareness and I will also expand my research on that too because uh, it's something that we, uh, I, yeah, we should all be aware of that too. We shouldn't, it shouldn't be something that we wait until um, um, we, we find ourselves at the hospital then we're like, oh, no, now we're now researching. Yeah, it's something, the awareness should be out there. And you, you about the diet, you, you're 100 on that. And it's not only limited to um, our um, African-American brethren here. Even those of us back home, um, well, uh, even, yeah, Nigerians don't like saying that. Like, I remember one day I went for my checkup at the VA and <laughs> it was a Nigerian-born doctor who checked on me and she was asking me, like, oh, do you make this uh, stew, a goosey stew, which is from uh, watermelon seeds? Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorites. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, do you, do, um, how, how do you make it? How do you make it in, uh, in America? Do you have palm oil? And I was like, uh, e- nah, I don't use palm oil. I, I stopped using palm oil a long time ago. Uh, and she's like, what? Yeah, you can't call that a goosey if you don't use palm oil. I know it's not healthy. <laughs> it's not good for us. And I know I'm your doctor right now, but I shouldn't be saying. I'm like, there you go. There you go. But mm-hmm. hey, since I found out, and yeah, and, and, but I think there was also, um, you know, when I joined the Navy, it was one of the things that always surprised me. One of the first questions I always got every time I went for a checkup was, have you had diabetes? Anybody in your family got diabetes? And and I was like, why? Well, well no. And it was like, well, why, why should somebody have it in my family? I, did, I wasn't aware of black history, the medical history and all that. And it began to dawn on me, like, you know, why, why sometimes I go for a checkup and I'm like, wow, you're for, for a black man of your age. You, you, you're very, you, you're very mm-hmm. healthy. You, 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 keep it up. Make sure you, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And I was like, what? I, I, I just only started exercising like maybe six months ago. Huh? I, I think I let that get into my head because I, re- I really got big after the Navy. But I, it, it, the more I started learning about the history, you know, our health, I started getting why almost every time I went for checkups, even my teeth, mm-hmm. the, the dentist always like, wow, what, what have you been doing? Like, well, mm-hmm. This is good. And I'm, because it's part you didn't have those extra processed sugars and all that stuff, that Kool-Aid and things that we were brought yeah, up. Yeah, but it was one yeah. movie I watched that changed all that for me. Going bananas mm-hmm. as a kid. Okay, where mm-hmm. they had the the, the 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 white guy needed a dent. He had toothache and it was, uh, yeah, it was probably in today's world, people are gonna be like, "What the hell is this?" Like, because <laughs> it was some Southern African village. That's why people ended up at and. It was well. It was comedy for us because <laughs> we used to laugh at that movie all the time. And the guy needed his tooth fixed. They say, "Oh, we got a dentist." The guy who's the dentist shows up, um, dressed in witch doctor garb, sits on a bicycle, riding the the pedaling the bicycle, and it's like a drill pops out from the bicycle into the guy's mouth. And I'm like, "Is that a dentist?" I'm, what? <laughs> Hell no! What do I have to do to not see a dentist? And my elder siblings took advantage of that. Were like, "Oh, don't drink." Coke, don't drink soda, mm-hmm. don't eat, eat sweets all the time. So I was like, oh, so if I don't drink Fanta, maybe I should drink the bitter lemon. 
Now right, stop right. it. So I said drinking bitter so, stuff. <laughs> That's so then think about so as Americans and growing up African American, not only did we have the the curse of the soul food, which not saying yep. all soul food is bad, but yep. a lot of it is. Mm-hmm. We also had the curse of the American Eastern diet. Oh yeah, the McDonald's and uh, fast food and all the stuff that's not getting. We were fed this misconception mm-hmm. that it was healthy and good for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think all that. I think that's the only part of the anti-blackness that I I got before I that that stayed that that worked in my favor was that when when I arrived in America, I was like, I ain't doing fast food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not doing that fast food and. Yeah, now I do eat fast food. My my wife tends to buy fast food once in a while. But like when the spicy, uh, who had the Popeyes? Was it Popeyes that had that spicy chicken that got people going crazy? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it. We did it. Yeah, I, I was like, okay, I gotta try this stuff. What what's making people go crazy on the internet? Let me try it. Yeah, I ordered it. Yeah, but I don't eat it all the time. My wife was like, she was surprised. Like, why don't you? It's difficult for you to say I'm going to order fast food. She got to take the phone and order it. I'm like, yeah, I, I just. I don't know <laughs> how to do it, but it was that part of the, if it hadn't if I hadn't been programmed that way, like oh, I'm not gonna mess with this stuff. But I think in a way, in a weird way, it worked for me in that now most of the time, yeah, I still have health issues. Like I don't have health issues. The other day I was at the ER because I wasn't taking my medication. But uh, for the most part, the doctor is always like, wow. And when they say wow. I get it now why they see someone of my age mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, you're a black man. You're in this category and you don't have the problems that we normally associate with black men of your mm-hmm. age. So keep taking care of yourself. And that's what inspired me to start saying, I'll be taking care of myself because, yeah, I shouldn't be waiting until white doctors or white people or white whatever or even black doctors tell me, keep taking care of I should be telling myself, keep taking care of yourself. It should be imperative mm-hmm. to me because uh, I'm doing it for me. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for me. So uh, it's also part of the awareness that that's out there. So yeah, I changed my my um, um, my diet. Uh, I still make Nigerian food. Most yeah, that's the food I cook. Nigerian Ghanaian food, but I don't use palm oil anymore. And because mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how I survived. All the food we cooked in Nigeria was with palm oil. That I used to eat a lot when I didn't have money. That's what I could afford. And that oil, when when you, you you just leave the bottle and you see the way it gets thick, before you could cook, you gotta get the fire. Depending on if you had a kerosene stove or you were cooking with firewood, you get your fire going. Then you gotta have the bottle over the fire. <laughs> get your hands, your fingers, <laughs> cooking too. <laughs> then the oil melts before you can cook whatever you want to cook. That should have been a red flag, right? They're like, what is this doing inside of our bodies? Right. And right. that is us back in Nigeria. We'll be looking at people across the ocean saying, oh, yeah, their food is the only food that got problems. I'm like, our food got problems too. <laughs> you know, we don't consider that. And then we, we also have lots of people with, we have lots of health issues, which we don't um, officially address. We like saying like the most common killer in Nigeria is, um, how do we say it again? Uh, Brief illness. If you look mm-hmm. at Nigerian obituaries, he died. Of, he or she died. He died of brief illness. She died of brief illness. When you ask the family, oh, he was brief, brief. He died. He, he just fell sick and died. Uh, what, what killed the person? We don't know. Mm-hmm. So that's how, there's no awareness. That's why Fela's death will still be a major thing because his family 
didn't do that brief illness thing. The family came out and said he had AIDS. Mm. So they used that to create an awareness. Mm-hmm. Be, guys, be careful. You guys need to, you know, it, this is real. They mm. stopped that brief illness thing for that moment. And people were like, oh, so this thing is not only white people that I kills. Oh, this is not only people in America I kills. Right, right. mm-hmm. The awareness came out from that. So mm. other people need to, you know, and that's how a lot of us took stuff like that seriously. You know, so yeah. that, that's why awareness is big and awareness is important. And I uh, appreciate you sharing uh, on, on that too. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot I would love to ask you. I'm, I'm definitely have to bring you over again because, yeah, there's just way too much for me to ask you. But I have to start um, bringing it down. So let me see. I, I'm going to bring, I'm going to ask you like three more questions. Okay. Three more questions. So where should I go? Where should I go? Mm. I mean... Ah, let's, 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 okay. I think I know where I'm going. So you've traveled around the country a lot and you've done international travel too. Mm-hmm. So let me see. I go international. I'll just throw it all together. In all your travels, name one experience that was like, whoa, what's going on here? That gave you a big culture shock. My father was stationed in Puerto Rico. And it was my first experience in the Caribbean. And growing up in the States, my image of what Puerto Ricans were were different. Uh, we have a thing called New York Ricans. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the Puerto Ricans that I'm familiar with are ones like from New York, you know, that came yeah. from the island. There's a large concentration that they come from the island, they go to New York, and then they go other places, right? Yeah. But actually experiencing life on the island with the indigenous people was incredible. And that was at a time in my life, I was a, a, a almost a teen, younger teenager, I would say. So I was impressionable. But to be able to see this different culture and community and the different languages and then seeing the different subsets of the Puerto Rican, like it's Puerto Ricans that, you know, we're used to the lighter Puerto Ricans that we see in New York. Yes. But they're Puerto Ricans is just as dark as I am. Mm-hmm. And like Dominicans and the Afro-Cuban part and just seeing how that works and just little things in the culture, like siesta is a real thing. Oh, like yeah. To me, that was a comic book thing. But <laughs> siesta is like really ingrained in the community. It's a real thing. Don't look for nothing to happen on one o'clock on that island. <laughs> Lunchtime is from 12 to 1, and then from 1 from one o'clock to 2 o'clock is siesta. That's what it is. You can't change it. I don't care what you got to do, what kind of rush you in, it's siesta. You need to lay your butt down and take a nap just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. So just be able to see that, you know, and experience that. I got to, um, I was on a naval base. I lived in the officer's quarters. I was surrounded by other people in the Navy. I got to learn to snorkel and scuba dive. There's nothing else to do, you know? So, yeah, it, it was a great experience. And not only in that experience did I get to see just that, that was a time when I kind of got to really understand who my dad was. And um, at the time, I did not know that his group of friends were so influ- influential as they were, but I was surrounded by Black officers in the United States Navy, mm-hmm. not only men, because he was a registered nurse, but women. Wow. And I was surrounded by multiple, I know two or three 
black women captains in the Navy. Just to say you've seen one is unheard of. Mm-hmm. I know multiple ones. You know, I'm not so f- sure if you're familiar with that movie, uh, Men of Honor. Yep. And Carl Bashir. Yes. I grew up not too far from Carl Bashir. And one of these ladies that I'm t- referencing is the nurse that was his wife in the movie. Oh, wow. I know this lady. You know, I know Carl Bashir's grandkids. Wow. And, you know, to grow up in that environment, now realizing who these people were and how they were, how important they were, it was awesome. So yeah, that was one of my favorite experiences in life. So before I come back, I'll come back to Puerto Rico, but after seeing Men of Honor, mm-hmm. did that, you know, movie... Yo, so I to me, to me, it's just Mr. Bashir. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so when the movie came out, I'm like, look at Cobra Ken Junior. Wow. And then they explained to me um who his wife was, and I was like, <laughs> Wow. But so I'm living it, you know. Yeah. So and I take it, I took it for granted. It was just my dad's friends. We would just go over their house on the weekends and listen to records and watch Laserdisc and <laughs> stuff like that. Because on the island, the island, yes, they spoke um, English, mm-hmm. but it was a primarily Spanish-speaking community. So sometimes you just wanted to speak English, <laughs> you yeah. know. So we and then again, we had a group of uh, a black community out of the ordinary. It, it was just awesome. I, I. I Took it for granted then, but I don't take it for granted now. Wow, that's that's beautiful. It's uh, I, I think it was episode sixty or um, sixty one uh, with the Bantu boys. One of um, one of the duo, uh, Julian, he uh, was born in Belgium, but to Congolese uh, parents, the Democratic Republic of Congolese parents, and he. Um, his dad's restaurant always had, it was quite popular amongst the Congolese community in um, their part of Belgium. And one of the biggest African musicians of all time, Papa Wemba, he met him there. <laughs> he didn't know who the guy was. <laughs> and that, that's what just popped up in my mind of, you know, sometimes when, you know, when, when we are young guy, you know, some, you know, it doesn't really registered at that moment when some moments like that happen and then with time he starts to register wow this was why this was a big deal this is you know who this person was because it was you know and wow so that that's just a great moment and yeah new, new york and i had a, uh, a previous guest uh matilda who um um i talked about uh she she introduced me to new york mm-hmm. she's big she's big on new york arts she's from puerto rico so Yes, and well, so yeah, that's that, that was a beautiful uh, period and a beautiful experience. So um, I gotta ask now. So um, before I come to come, I come to you for my homecoming weekend, which we can't invite <laughs> any other people. Other people, you, you guys gotta stay away. You know, go go find some other. The other HBCUs, go show them love. <laughs> you know, can't, can't oh, bro, you're gonna be sharing that HBCU with me and about fifty thousand other people. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I put on to join me. <laughs> so, let's say I'm a tourist because even though I lived in the seven five seven, 
I don't really consider it living because he, I was a totally different person then. I didn't, yeah, I didn't appreciate it. So now it's like, a, yeah, other than the name, um, Oceana and um, mm-hmm. Nob, um, Dam Neck and um, um, Little Creek. Um, yeah, I think I'm forgetting one more base. So I was mostly on the bases and I've visited a few towns in between. But let's say I'm coming now to Portsmouth. <laughs> and uh, or, or a tourist or any other person coming, but I'm just putting myself as someone who's listening and saying, I want to come to where Sean is at. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be their first time visit to town. Where would you take them to eat? And what would you recommend that they try? Ooh, does it necessarily have to be in Portsmouth, though? Okay. Uh, well, let, let, let's expand. Do you want? Okay, let's do seven five seven. I, I want to go okay. seven five seven in general, but all right, let's do seven five seven. It's your, it's your, it's your territory, so you, you in charge of this. Now, don't get nothing wrong. There are plenty places in Portsmouth, and one of the places I would take you is a little small homer wall called Mama Chan's, and they are the the original place. We have a dish that's Portsmouth original called yak, and it's yak. noodles, and it's oh. just the way it's prepared. And it's very unique to Portsmouth. So we will have to stop through there in Portsmouth. Um, but one of my favorite restaurants right now is a restaurant in Hampton called Mango Mango. Mm. And um, it is a Afro-Caribbean um, Creole fusion soul food fusion restaurant um a lot of the uh, cuisine there is based off food that you would get like in the creole louisiana like gumbos and hmm. um shrimp and grits and but it's with a french fusion to it okay and um it's owned by um three black women and it was featured on shark tape so if you look oh, up Mango Mango, Mango, Mango. and um, they've grown into have a couple of businesses and restaurants and they have a cafeteria now, but that's one of my favorites. Oh, wow. um, yeah, we got MP Island Cafe. Uh, we got one of our first, uh, it's owned by Mike Palmer. Um, and he also owns um, the Berkeley Market, was one of the black first major black um, shopping centers in the area. Um, not only is it a shopping center, but it's also a restaurant inside there. If you want to get that good soul food or mm-hmm. Caribbean food, we would go there. Um, man, it's just a, there's a whole strip in Hampton here on West Queens way that will have anything you'll want. It's a place called Marker 20. Uh, it's a place called, um, um, Brown chicken, Brown cow it has the best hamburgers I've ever had in my life. Um, it's just, food is not a problem. I, I, shout out to I, my I, man, uh, <laughs> my man's restaurant got fish. He started out from a food truck, uh, maybe about four years ago and has one of the, um, biggest, um, black newest black, um, seafood restaurants in the Hampton Roads area with two locations now. And I'm really proud of him and seeing his growth and not only the growth for his restaurant, but what he does into the community. So that, yeah, it's, and it's what, called what Gutfish. It's called Gutfish. Gutfish. Okay, yeah, that's lovely. Just curious, you got any place in uh, Virginia Beach? Mmm, 
I would actually, if you were in Virginia Beach, I would look on Instagram and I would Google uh, two chefs, Chef Boy Boy and Boy Boy is B-O-I-B-O-I or Chef Dro and that's D-R-O. They're both in the Hampton Roads area. If anybody ever wants to contact them and they can't get them, hit my Instagram and I'll send them to you. They are both private chefs. I would check them out and see what they're doing or if they're doing any pop-ups the time that you're here because they're definitely worth checking out. Nice. And I'll make sure I let my Navy people down there. I still got a few Navy people down there. I'll let them know. Hey, make sure you check out both chefs. All righty. So now... This is usually a question that uh, I don't have any difficulty asking. But with you, knowing you, this is going to be one of the toughest times uh, I struggle to ask this question. And I'm now thinking, how the hell do I ask it? Come on, just let, let's have it. There needs to be a soundbite for me struggling with this one. But um, <laughs> yeah, so let's see, let's see, because I, I had to reconstruct the question, reconstruct it again. I was like, that ain't working, that ain't working. So I, I, I was trying to make it controversial for you, and at the same time, try to you know take you out of your comfort zone. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can land, but let's see, let's. I try, I try. So right. we're going to music, and yes, mm-hmm. you've, we've touched music a lot, but this time we're going to a different. Uh, aspect of music. So everybody who's been on this podcast automatically qualifies as a dancer. So we know you can dance. You know, if you say you can't dance, we will stop recording now and say, "Well, I right, kick you off." <laughs> you know. So uh, we need you to dance for at least three. I don't know, not three. Uh, we need you to dance for at least one hour, and we need you to pick three or four artists that will keep you dancing for at least an hour. But now, knowing you, that uh, you're so big into music, we need to like, uh, we, we, we don't want the most popular names. So mm-hmm. we're going to cut that out. We don't want the most, uh, what would I say? How, what else I got to cut out? I need to cut out something, but I, I don't know. Okay, we're just going to say none of the most popular names. Mm-hmm. None of the most, uh, you, can't, you can't, and that includes old school, new school, middle school. You can't use names that like, oh, I'm, I'm like, yeah, 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 that, yeah, okay, okay. But you got to give us the good stuff that will keep you dancing for at least an hour, you know. So right. give us at least three or four artists that will keep you dancing. You, or you can just throw in a song. I would say Fela Kuti. Oh, oh. You know, this man, this man trying to, he trying to be on my good side. <laughs> he trying to be on my good side. Okay. Pa- Parliament Funkadelic. Oh, Yep, second um, appearance. Let's see. I'm trying to think of some non-conformative. Count Basie and his orchestra. Wait, why you call that? Count Basie. Count Basie. Big, big band. Harlem Renaissance. Mm. Band leader. I would have missed Count that. Basie is one of my favorite big bands of that time. How do you spell Basie? B-A-S-S-I-E. This is I-E. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That one o'clock jump is like one of the most popular songs. I wouldn't be surprised if I, yeah, I probably have heard that. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, I survived that question. All right. All right, because I was like, this man knows oh, so much music. Sh- shout out, Kirk yeah. Franklin. 
Ah, Frank ah. also a church boy too, so yeah. we gotta have some of that in there. Well, I ain't gonna lie, that guy when it came out, it you know, you okay. I'm that guy who I oh this music this music bumps. So yeah, you can dance, dance, you know, you go grooving, grooving. And then it's like maybe music has been out for months, and then one day you're like, oh, you know, you're dancing. And, Wait a minute, why they play this music on Sunday? I hear this song on Friday nights, you know, in the middle of all the club type of music. And then they played on Saturday. And then Sunday, like, uh, you know, Nigeria on Sunday. Most cities, it's like, you get church music from 6 a.m. up to, like, you know, 2, a, 2 p.m. And then, like, depending on what city, if you're, like, in my southern region, then it becomes Calypso. But you were getting kicked from, like, huh. And then, yeah, wait, this guy, it's actually gospel. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I go to church, you know, and they play this song in church, like people are dancing, like, oh man, this, this guy's song everywhere. This this song mm -hmm. transcends borders. It was in the club, it was in the church, it was on the streets, it was on the buses. I was like, Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's why when he came, he, he came to yeah, he came to yeah, he came to Portacot. When I was in Portacot, that was huge because there was mad traffic. We don't really have good organization with all the traffic right now it's even much worse but then yeah it was the, the traffic that day if you were coming to that church you better you you, you best be there like four or five hours before the service <laughs> to get a yeah, seat yeah. otherwise you'll be outside <laughs> 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 but that was one individual that showed me that you don't have to just because you sing gospel music it doesn't mean you can't make music that everybody can dance to correct and that was that was like yeah I got I got to give it to you brother I got to give it to you like yeah I gotta, respect respect yeah mad respect yeah I respect that dude yeah so great choices there great choices so uh, second to the last question mm -hmm. you also take your creativity and give back to the community by working with um, churches in in your I guess you 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 follow. I can call that uh, a continuation of your family legacy, because yeah. I wasn't yeah. aware of Quite your your mm -hmm. your parents being so involved in the church. So now that um, you've, uh, I'm now aware of that. I'm like, oh, okay, makes sense that you also give back to the church by being uh, by helping churches with their podcast. So uh, what's the difference between making uh, uh, being the creative director for podcasts? by churches and podcasts from individuals or the private sector. Yeah. So I got to go back with that. Like my father has, he's one of the ones that we kind of, that's the thing we shared was to take bug. Right. Mm -hmm. And being that he was a minister, I spent a lot of time in church. Um, just by being a minister's kid, you got to go to church. You know what I mean? Yes. And the very first video camera I ever heard, held was pointing it at somebody preaching. And that kind of set the scene for my whole video experience. Um, so not only do we do like church podcasts, but um, we do live broadcasts for church, especially in the days now of Corona. Mm -hmm. And I um, am on the media ministry of my, my home church. And one of my responsibilities is to help facilitate the live broadcast. So that takes all of my experiences and kind of throws it together in that arena too. Um, I think a lot of churches were caught off guard and um, 
some of them just didn't have the digital foundation that they needed when, uh, especially when the um, pandemic first started. That's true. Um, so yeah, a lot of the work is done with live streaming and getting the word out. We have a large um, elderly population in my own personal church. So it was very important to be able to make that experience accessible to them. Mm-hmm. And then you tackle different um, conversations like now, what does the church look like during the pandemic? Not only the church, but you, you're dealing again, when you're dealing with the black church, you also have certain sets of unique challenges, like the digital divide. Yeah. Like a lot of our seniors aren't, you know, technically advanced as some of the other um, Anglo single seniors out there, you know, mm-hmm. um, we have a hard time making sure our kids got enough technologies. We're not even looking at the seniors. That's so true. we did a whole big thing with my church where they gave out our seniors tablets so they would be able to access church and not be left out during the pandemic. So, yeah, I'm very proud of being able to play that role. And to me, that's my evangelism. It's more of a digital evangelism. Um, And I feel, you know, that's how God chooses to use me and the talents he gave me. And that's I'm cool with that because I ain't never been one to want to be on a pulpit. (laughs) Hey, you recognize your gifts and you're using it in a way that is as you said, digital evangelism. And you're right. They don't, I, I got privileged to have just just my tablet here. And, you know, sometimes I don't realize how big a deal it is for someone to have the same Right. You got to think about you know? the 80-year-old mother of the church that all she want to do is just see her little church service. That's right. That, that tablet is intimidating to her. Well, she don't know where to go, where to True. start. How do you get there? True. You know? So yeah, thank you for doing that. Uh, that that's huge because just from giving them access to that from for the, for the church, it, it also expands into education and creating awareness and so many other things. So it's mm-hmm. not just limited to just. And I can't take credit for that. I also got to give credit, you know, to the foresight of the leadership of my church, of New Hope Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. I'm just lucky enough to be able to play a role. Yeah. Shout out to them too, because they support you, and you know they, they recognize that there's um, there's something there. Because I'm, I'm aware of others who were like, "Nah, we're gonna fight this technology, and you know we we don't need to do it this way." And no accessibility. Now, like don't <laughs> there was a few we had to drag kicking and screaming yeah, into. I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. <laughs> but like you said, the, the main goal is accessibility, and when mm-hmm. you come from that. Um, angle that's that's where it should be all right so uh man i could talk to you all day i've gone way over 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 time but uh it's all good so final question mm-hmm. what would you like to leave the audience with um it's your freestyle moment so hit us with something um i just want everybody to be patient with each other take time to learn from each other experience each other and we're all different um you know we we recently had um a political jargon make america great again well let's 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 make america great but let's keep it great and let's make it great for everybody not just a specific set of people um and you know shameless plug check out my podcast 757 renaissance man.com lvadtalk.com that's l-v-a-d 
talk.com and check out the C4 challenge at c4challenge.com. Um, we got a lot of good um, content for you guys and uh, everybody makes something great today. All right. I was, that was going to be my uh, final thing to, for you to plug yourself. So, Hey, you, you already did that, but still, <laughs> where can people find Sean Connors? Um, most directly on social media, catch me at Sean Connors, all one word on Instagram. And, um, that's probably the best way to get me. I don't really tweet too much. Um, and then the, the websites, elvadtalk.com, 757 Renaissance Man Talk. I'm sorry, 757renaissancemancom <laughs> Either way, just shoot me a message and I will respond. All right. And I'll have all that in the show notes and they'll be tagged on social media and you can see it all. And yeah, hit up Sean. He's a great guy. You've had him, fantastic individual. And there's so much to learn from this brother. And I'm so honored to have had you here. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Um, as I oh, say, bro, my, the honor, my language in the, the, the honor, the yeah. honor is all mine, man. I, I was very excited <laughs> when you asked me. I couldn't wait to get here. Uh, I'm very you. proud of the work that you're doing, and I'm quickly become a fan of your show. Appreciate that, brother. Appreciate that. And for everyone listening, don't forget to go give us the five stars, write an awesome review on whatever platform you're listening on, and, and you can also do that on the website too. We appreciate that. So thank you for the privilege for the privilege of your company. Come back next week and don't forget to check out the C4 challenge. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.